It is always an honor for me to serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that I can come and just wash your feet again with the very good news of Jesus and serve you with the gift that God has given me, which is to simply teach the gospel of his grace. It's an honor to serve you. It's always a blessing. Thank you so much for allowing me to do it. Well, before we get into the message today, I would like to just make an announcement. Today will be the last day we will have a service from our studio for 2022. We are planning to go to Zambia next week. We've done a lot of work in getting everything together, and we are traveling all the way there, and we're going to continue with our mission work that we do there. We are busy building a mission station and just going through the different phases of this. We started out by getting a piece of land, and now we're building our house, and we are, I would say, three-quarters way through the building process of the small house where Lynn and I will stay, and we are going back to finish this house. We're not coming back before we finish this project. We've received our work permits and everything to go and work there for longer periods of time, and I'm really excited to go and finish what we have started there and then also preach the gospel in that area. I think it's going to be nice now that we have a work permit that everything will not be rushed and try to do as much as possible in one month. We can spend longer time and preach the gospel in that area. We also have a WhatsApp group that we take people, they take people's numbers and we just share with them what we are doing on a daily basis. I don't always update on Facebook and uh, on our messages every week on what we are doing, but if you are interested to travel with us, and what I mean by that is uh, follow what we are doing via WhatsApp, you are welcome to join us. Uh, we also have the same, if I'm not mistaken, on Telegram. So whatever platform you uh, prefer, we can put you on that. It is a place where, like I say, we just share every day what we are doing. It is, and I just want to say this, it is not a money-begging platform where I'm trying to get people to sponsor the ministry and even give towards the ministry. It is simply... Uh, sharing what we are doing for those that are interested, just to see how does the message of grace look on the mission field. Uh, mission field for everybody is a different place. This is what we, Lira and I, feel we want to do. And if you want to be with us there, we can take you with us just via the WhatsApp and the Telegram and share with you on a daily basis what we are doing. Uh, so if you want to be on that group, you can simply just go and send us your contact information your we're just going to need your cell phone number and the country that you are in so uh, that's going to be sent to info at dynamic ministries.com info at dynamic ministries.com you can also go to my facebook and just via facebook messenger say Bertie, i want to be on this list please add me and i can put you on the list it's, it's very easy for you to also just say i don't want to be on the list i think there's a way where you can just remove yourself as well if you would like to do that so this is only for the zambia trip that's all that is be being used for and if we get back then we just stop any messages on that until we go again so uh, yeah it would be wonderful to have you with us glory to god i also want to thank people that uh, you know have traveled with us before, people that were generous in giving towards this. So thank you so much. It's just enabled us to go again, and thank you for doing that. Uh, it's a great blessing. Right, we're going to get into the word for today. The word that I have for you is a word of justification, a message where I'm going to just explain the justice of God again. I've preached about on this topic, I think, once, maybe twice in the last year, and I was thinking that I want to do this again. I've made some programs for TBN, and I was thinking, man, let me just, and I, I preached on justification, and I thought, man, this is going to be good if I just share on this again, because I've just seen some new things, and as you see these new things, you can share it with people, and it always blesses people. It's blessed me, so I'm sure it's going to bless you as well. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather together. Thank you that we can be here and share your message. Thank you for empowering me, Holy Spirit, to preach this message in a very clear way that people can understand it. Amen and amen. Well, um, I forgot to mention this. If you uh, feel in your heart to pray for us for this trip, we would really appreciate that. Paul says something very powerful when he was 
in jail and he writes to the Philippians. He says, listen, I'm in jail now and I know I will be released by the power of the Holy Spirit and through your prayers. So there is just something very powerful about prayer and when you pray for somebody. I've seen it when I pray for people that there is something that they carry inside them knowing that somebody really truly prays for them. So uh, I've also seen answered prayer many times as I'm sure you have and it is just wonderful to know that there are people that pray for you because not just in the knowledge of it but there's something that you experience you experience that togetherness to the point that Paul said I know I'll be released through the Holy Spirit and through your prayers so thank you for praying for us uh, as we go on this trip you know when you travel so far going through many border posts and all those kind of things we've got a trailer full of uh, equipment that we're taking through the borders. And I mean, we need the grace of God with customs and clearances and all those kind of things. So please think of us in your prayers. So if you sit together with your wife in the morning in bed and you listen to the daily devotional that we send out on a regular basis, and just pray for us as you feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. Right, into the message, justification. What is justification? My definition, which is an absolute layman definition on justification, is simply this. It is to be treated in accordance to the original design and plan that God has for us. We can explain it this way. Justice, and I want to use uh, human-animal relations here. If you have a pet, Justice for the pet would be different than justice for wild animals. If you have a pet and it is minus something degree Celsius outside and you just decide, oh, well, I'm just leaving my dog outside. Uh, I don't care about the dog. Let the dog be outside. You will find yourself on the wrong side of the law. That would be unjust because that is a domestic animal that you've taken in as your pet and you are caring for that animal. That animal can die out there. Let's say your dog is out there in a blizzard. The dog can die. Even if it is something like a husky or a dog that can withstand extreme cold, it would still be frowned upon if you leave your dog outside and say, that's unjust. Somebody would uh, maybe report you and say, man, you need to look at how you treat your animals. But let's say there are wild birds and there's a blizzard outside. It wouldn't be unjust to do nothing about the wild birds that are living in nature in the blizzard. It is not, uh, justice is not defined on if you allow them into your house or not. If uh, you do things in the area like poison some seeds or those kind of things and these wild birds eat it and they die, that would then be seen as unjust towards the animals. So we can see that justice is defined on the foundation of your relationship with uh, with another, and in this case animals. So if we think of God's justice towards us, I believe that it is defined in who God is and the original plan that he has with us, then I believe the original plan that God has for us is to bring forth man in his very image, in the image of God, in the likeness of God to bring him forth. And we find that there is one person that is truly the image of the invisible God, and that is the person that is truly fully human and fu functions as God has intended for a human being to be, and that is Jesus the Christ. So if God has brought us forth from the dust of the earth, made us alive, given us a mind, will, and emotions, and the purpose of the mind, will, and emotions, and God's provision in the Garden of Eden was that we would love him, meaning, as what we can look at normal relationships, if a guy likes a girl, I mean, he would create an atmosphere wherein she can see who he truly is in the hope that she will like what she sees and then allows uh, him and her to become one and so share in one another's lives. So God has made us from the dust of the earth and while his project of bringing a man forth in his full image and likeness as an eternal, immortal human, a person that is fully human, that is 
so full of perfection that the very kingdom of heaven can be given into his hands as pertaining to the earth and that they can rule and reign with full life. Uh, God's project was started. Man was made from the dust of the earth. The breath of life was blown into this man. This person was still named Adam meaning that in his nature, without God giving him fullness of life, we will find that he will just return back to the dust of the earth. So this being, this Adam, was made to be a recipient of life from God. He was not a being that was made to find life in the power of himself. He was a being that was made to be a recipient of life, wherein God is the author and the finisher of the fullness of life in this human wherein the life that God puts in this human will then have an effect even on everything that is around him and so everything will be sealed with the fullness of life. We then know the story of Adam and Eve and what happened there. The tempter came, tempted Eve, deceived her and then man was deceived into thinking that he's a God on his own basis and in his own power and as he then rejected God as the source of his life and he was standing in the solitude of himself he started to go back into the dust of the earth and die now God hasn't abandoned his plan something else came in and brought death and destruction to man and what would justice be Justice would be to remove that which offends, to remove that which harms, and to then restore that which was harmed to its former glory, and then give it again the opportunity to live by the power of God, and to make sure that the promise that God has made to Adam and Eve would then be to the people that was now harmed through this disgrace that was done to ma- to, uh, to man and to the plan that God had with man. So God's relationship with man is to bring forth his very image in the earth. As I've said, the image of God put in display to know what the image of God truly is, is the man Jesus Christ at the right hand of God right now. That is, this is what the Bible says, Jesus Christ in Hebrews, he is the image of the invisible God. That is also temple language, temple language as in what Jews would have understood temple language be, and as well as what um, Gentiles would have understood what uh, idol will be or what an image would be. An image was definitely the image of the God that was in the temple. So Jesus Christ is therefore the image of God in the temple, which is then also addressed as God. So uh, that was God's plan with us. Anything short of that and anything hindering that is unjust. It's not justified. It isn't justified that the devil comes and tempts Adam and Eve and murders them, robs them. No, God wants to restore. And that is what justification is all about. We need to understand that. When we look at the breastplate of uh, Aaron when he came before God, God gave clear instructions that this breastplate that Aaron had to put on was also called the, uh, the breastplate of justice. That through which justification is made. That justice is also called decision making. So it says you must... You can have some of the translations say the breastplate of justice. Others say the breastplate of righteousness. Others say the breastplate of decision making. So when God had to make decisions about his uh, people to see that justice will prevail and that they are justified, that was uh, always on Aaron's heart. That consisted out of a gold plate that had the 12 tribes of Israel represented in different stones on this breastplate as well as the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim was used in decision-making. It was two stones. They would pray, and then they would put their hand in this little bag and take one of the stones out. The one stone would mean yes, the other stone would mean no. So when they really wanted to know what to do to see that the justice of God, that that the life of God comes their way, they would pray and then take out one of the stones and see what God says. Very interesting, the Urim and the Thummim, uh, means, if you go and look at the translations of this, it means fire and innocence. 
So I think the one must have been like a red stone, the other one a clear stone, something like that. Uh, and so doesn't matter what the answer would be. It's going to be, you know, a yes or a no or fire or innocence. Now, fire or innocence, we can look at that in a negative way, but I don't think we should look at it in a negative way. And this is why. If we look at the word uh, urum, it simply starts with an aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and thumum with the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, translated into Greek as alpha omega. So I believe, and this is just my opinion, layman's opinion of this, is that the urim and the thumum simply points to the alpha and the omega, which is Jesus Christ. So whenever they would pray and they would want justice and they want justification, they want to see that that which God has planned for them would manifest in their lives, they would pray and ask for an answer and the answer would always be Jesus, be it the beginning or the end. doesn't matter. Jesus is the beginning and Jesus is the end. Now, we find that uh, the fire of God in Jesus Christ came to the earth in the days of John the Baptist. And what happened was that God came in Jesus and removed that which could not bring life. So Jesus can be that which removes what cannot bring life. And Jesus will also be the same as the Omega, which is in the end, you'll find yourself fully innocent or righteous. That is what innocence also means. It means righteous or righteousness means to be innocent. So God has come in Jesus Christ to bring righteousness, that is God's faithfulness, and for us to be in the right through Jesus. It can be by, and this is the process, removing, bringing the fire of God's love, of God's judgment on that which offends and on the system, the old system that was used wrong, and the old people that was thinking, you know, we're just going to uh, disqualify the Gentiles. We're going to disqualify everybody. we only focusing on the flesh. That was taken out of the way, and that which is innocent and pure is brought. And that would also be the decision-making, the fire of innocence or the judgment of God. So the judgment of God is always going to be in Jesus Christ. It is something that we should not be afraid of. It is something that we should welcome because the ju judgment of God, which brings forth the justice of God, is always to help those that are going through very difficult times to aid those who are fatherless, the widow, the stranger, and so forth. It is to help people. To give you a good idea of God's judgment as pertaining to uh, Israel, you will find uh, that there was, uh, you remember the story of Joseph. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, and they basically wanted to kill him. He was then sold, and he went to Egypt just to go and live there. I mean, he could have been sold there as a slave in somebody's house. He could have been murdered. Who knows what they would have used him for. That's what his brothers did. But God then made a way that when there was a famine in the land, that Israel, only 70 people back then, could come as strangers and live in Egypt and also share in the grain that there was and so live and multiply. So we find justice being done to the strangers. God even says, remember when you were strangers in Egypt. And then he goes on and he says, always treat strangers with kindness because you were a stranger. The Bible even says, we're going to look at many of those scriptures, where it says, seek justice for the stranger. Now, justice for the stranger would mean to help him to assist him. That's what justice for the stranger would mean. Because remember, you were also strangers in Egypt. So God was looking at Israel. He said, it's not just that the promise that I've made to Abraham, that uh, he and his descendants, of which Jesus would be in the lineage, would be blessed, and in them the whole earth would be blessed, or as some of the translations say, as they would inherit the whole earth. It's not just that they die out because of a famine. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get them to go to a place where there is provision and there I'm going to make a way that these Egyptians will be kind to uh, the people of God and that justice would prevail, meaning that they will not die out and that they would live. So 
When we see justice, we see how God helped his people not to die, but for them to live. It would be unjust if the children of God dies in a famine. That is not just. That was not God's original plan. So we find justice prevailing in that way. Now, um, as I've said, justice is to treat according to the original plan that God has. It is the way of, it's God's way of life in the earth. Very important. We will still get to that. We need to understand that the relationship that we have with God is promise-based. God has promised us, and we need to look at this, and this is a well-known passage that I'm sure you guys know where I'm turning to right now, and this is one of my absolute favorite verses. I think there's not many of them in the in the Bible that says this clearly, except for John chapter 1 and 1 John chapter 1 and then Titus chapter 1. Paul says here, he says, and so uh, let me just give you the structure of what I'm saying. First, I laid out to you what is justice and justification. Means Justice means to treat according to the original intent. Justification would be if you are not treated according to that, that a decision will be made about you and what brought you into that difficult situation so that the difficulty can be removed and that you can get back to the place, or we can put it this, like this, to get back on track with God's plan, which is to bring eternal life to his people by God fulfilling his promise to us. That is justice and justification. So justification is to be treated or to see that justice manifests in your life. That was what the Urim and the Thummim was all about. Okay, so with that said, we're now going to look at the promise that God has made. So justice cannot prevail outside of God fulfilling his promise. It would be unjust if God made a promise of eternal life And then God says, well, I promised you in the beginning that it's by promise, but now the way this is going to end is not going to be by promise. It's now going to be by you sweating it and getting it done. That is not just. Uh, God made us from the dust of the earth. He promised us. So I think it would only be just that whatever God promises, he keeps and that we are therefore receiving eternal life by God's faithfulness, that is also the word faith in the Greek, that we receive eternal life by faith, which would be God's faithfulness to his original promise, and that we, justice and righteousness and being as we ought to be in the presence of such a God, can only be defined as us, believing him and not trying to have our own way to bring forth what he has promised. What would be seen as disregarding God, dishonoring God, would be to say, God, thank you for your promise, but no thank you, we'll do it ourselves. So here is Titus, looking at what God promised us from the beginning. says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect in their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's beautiful. The knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. And I, Paul, I'm in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which, talking about himself, he says, and which now, at his appointed season, he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God. So he says that God has brought eternal life to light through what is preached now by Paul. And what is preached by Paul? It's preached that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and that he is Lord ruling over sin and death. And that that which God has promised from the beginning, which is that eternal life would be given to man, has now been made clear. The way God brings eternal life to man is, people just thought, you know, God is just bringing eternal life to everybody at once or something like that. But the way where it's done is now made clear. He brings forth one man, Jesus 
raised from the dead, and through that man, he now distributes what he has promised. So uh, we find that Paul says that the promise that was from the beginning was that God would give eternal life to man. Now, we know that eternal life includes unending days as well as God's way of living, God's way of doing, God's quality of life. That is what God has promised. We find that he's promised Abraham. We find that he, Abraham believed God. It was by promise. So justice works like this. God promises and then God has to keep his promise. It has to be by promise. It would be unjust if mortal man or man that's made from the dust of the earth has to now produce eternal life by their own power. That would be unjust. That would be a def- definite death sentence. What would even be more unjust is if God makes man from the dust of the earth and then he tells this dust man, knowing he's just dust, produce the fruit of eternal life, let me see, and if you don't do it, then I'll burn you in hell. That is unjust. That would be absolutely unjust. What would be just is if God makes man from the dust of the earth, his original plan has always been that it would only be by him and that his full life would be in them by the doing of God, that if these people choose another way and they don't want this they say no thank you i don't want eternal life i think it is only just for them then not to have that so justice according to god is to bring forth eternal life by his own doing and to keep his promise and should anything harm it that he takes that out of the way right i want to go to romans chapter 4 verse 5 romans chapter 4 well-known passage just a little bit of a new light on this maybe justice is not defined by the law justice is defined by God's love to be justified is to be treated in accordance with the original plan by the love of God it's for God to love you unto life that is what justice is is i want to give this example i think i gave it in one of my daily devotionals if i have a child let's say i'm a very good father and i have a child and i tell my child you're not allowed to get in a car with a stranger and he does and the stranger abuses him would i now say well that's just you know that's just no i would say what has happened is not just my child needs to be justified how will my child be justified even in if i would kill the unjust person that has maybe harmed my child in some way violated him or something how can justice be served to my child in killing the perpetrator no justice can only be served if my child after I've helped him, has no even recollection of what has taken place there in any way in his life, wherein he is as he always would have been if that didn't take place in his life. That would be, and if we don't talk about the miraculous thing, we just talk about this way. My child will come back, I'll pray for him, I will make sure that he's comforted, that he's loved by me, and I will make sure, uh, if need be, he goes to maybe some psychologist or for some therapy, some help, so that he can get over what has happened, so that the life that was intended for him can continue. That would be justice. That would be justification. True justification in the life of the person that has harmed my child would be that that person is also set free from the bondage that that he is in. Maybe he's got a need of money and he's got some evil mind for him to be set free from that so that that person can also be free. And justice in the world would then be that... uh, 
in the world of my son would be that this person is that has harmed him is completely set free, made new. My child has got his mind, his emotions, his heart healed, and so stand as life always was supposed to be. That would be justice, true justice in light with God's original plan. The true enemy, which would be the devil and his angels, his messengers, uh, for them to be removed and that the life of God can be in the earth. That would be justice. To be justified would then be to stand in that condition by the rulership and the authority and the power of God that God always had for us. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 4. Listen to what the scripture says there. Here it says, What then shall we say of Abraham our father according to the flesh? to the flesh what have we discovered in this matter if in fact abraham was justified by works he had something to boast about but not before god what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was a credit to him for righteousness now to the one who works wages are not credited as a gift but as an obligation However, to the one that does not work but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited for righteousness. David says it this way, and this is going to be beautiful. It's a bit of a new way of seeing this. David says it in the same thing, and he says it this way, and he describes the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. The context there is, we can put it this way, blessed is the one, blessed is the sinner to whom God makes a promise of life. That's what it means. So if God comes to a sinner and he promises him life, it means that God has not taken his sin into account. He's simply promised the sinner life as what he's done to Abraham. He's promised a weak man that was busy dying, that couldn't by his own ability produce any form of life. He promised him that he will be the heir of the world. He promised him that in him all nations shall be blessed. He promised him that he will have children. He promised him, made a promise to him and his seed. That's what God promised him. So what did Abraham do? Abraham simply believed that God can bring forth what God has promised. So if God comes to me and you, if he goes to mortal dust, mortal man that is dusty in his nature and he promises that man, listen, I promise you eternal life. He has promised a weak person that does not have the ability to produce the holiness that can bring forth life. He's promised that person life. So blessed is that man because God has not based new life on that person's ability. He's based it on his own ability and his faithfulness to bring forth the promise. And that would be just for God. It's just for God to promise a sinner life. It's just. And then God think, God thinks, it is just that this person believes me. And the promise that God has made is a life that is eternal in duration plus his own quality of life that's what he promised him that would then result in god bringing forth holiness in that person's life as he simply relies and believes on him we find the very same with Abraham. God came and he made Abraham a promise. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I think it's unjust or it's unjust that you are dying out. I make you a promise that your, you and your descendants will be blessed. Abraham said, well, I believe you. So what, what does that then mean? It means it would be up to God now to bring forth the ability inside Abraham and Sarah to procreate. It would be God's responsibility to see that Abraham and Sarah become fruitful in their old age. So if God promises us eternal life, 
It would be unjust should we believe God that God is not the source of the new fruit in our life. He must be the one. It's his responsibility to see that we bear fruit. It is our responsibility to honor God and simply believe him, to believe that what God has promised, he can produce, that he can bring it forth. In my life, it would look like this. Um, when God saved me, talking about, and I'm just using here, I'm not going to get too theological about this, just speak a simple language. When God saved me, when I got saved, God promised me. That was when I received the promise of God. God promised me eternal life. So now it was for God to take a self-centered, stingy person that just think of himself, that's ego-driven, whose life is based in what everybody thinks as what most people are in the world today, that has got sin, the passions of the flesh, and all those things in him, it is God's job to take that person, to end the fruit of the flesh in him, to remove death from him, to, the, to remove the fruit of death from him, to start to produce the work of the Holy Spirit in him, to make him a generous person, a person that cares about others and to shape his life around that and to bring forth the very life of God in him and to eventually even fulfill his promise in bringing eternal or immortality to him. It's God's job. I found that after I've believed, and this is what I believed, I just believed that God can do that. God can make me new. I believe that he has made me new. I believe that uh, I started to identify with a new life of Jesus uh, that, that was made known to me. I looked at the life of Jesus. I looked at the life of the apostles. I saw that life. I discovered that life as my life, and I found the fruit of the Spirit. I remember just after I got saved, I took all my pocket money. I would also work extra uh, work, newspapers that I would deliver and those kind of things. I would take all that money, literally everything. I would, maybe I've forgotten about a suite I bought myself, but I don't even think I've done that. But I took all that money and I went and bought as many Bibles as what I could from the local church and spread that to some a people in the area that were poor and needy and couldn't afford Bibles. I would then get them together at our house. Back then it was illegal for black folk to gather more than 20 people um, in a in a white area without having permission from the government. I didn't even know that. That was under the apartheid laws. I would get these people together, domestic workers, and I would spread the gospel, spread the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God to them. And I would just love on these people. It was God bringing justice and justifying me with his very life. After a while, they, I got into trouble and they told my dad, you know, you can lose your job if you don't stop your child to do this because, you know, it was a whole political thing. But you know what? God has delivered me from that. He's delivered those people from that. The apartheid system has ended. Justice is being served and people can hear the gospel. They can have the life of God in them. Justice has got nothing to do with you being guilty before God and now you're not being guilty anymore. Justice has got everything to do with God having a dream and seeing that that dream is fulfilled. And when somebody else has come to harm the dream of God and take it out of the earth, that God says, no, I shall bring it forth. Okay, so we find that this promise was made to Abraham and that God kept his promise and that he, in order to have a nation, he had to see that Abraham could bring forth fruit today. Now, for me and you, you can say this, God, it is unjust for me um, not to love people. 
because you've made me to have your life. It's unjust that I go around and I don't love. It's unjust. And I am seeking justification for we are in the dispensation of this earth where God is bringing forth justice through Jesus. And he's justifying because there are people in whose lives justice has not manifested. They are still bound by the fruit of the flesh. And that is true for each one of us in some area of our lives where we find that God is standing red, stands ready with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring justice into our lives, which would be to justify us with the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just that you are afraid of not having money. That's not just. It's not just that things grab a hold of our heart and we are so twisted in fear that we cannot sleep. That is not just. It's unjust. So, Bertie, do you never stress? Man, I do. (laughs) There are times, you know, when things happen to me when I would lie awake at night. Do you know what my prayer would be? My prayer would not be, oh God, I feel so guilty because I'm stressing and I'm not trusting you. No, that is not my prayer. My prayer would be, God, I want to just say, for me lying awake here, stressing about this, that's unjust. That's unjust. And I am before you, the righteous and It is for Jesus to plead my case. In this sense, not as we're using law language here, court language here, but it is for Jesus to see that I'm justified with good rest and that I will not stress. It's for him to bring that forth in me. It is. And I believe that God can do what he's promised and he shall bring it forth. And he has brought it forth in many areas of my life. And so he does with millions of people around the earth. So we find that Abraham was justified in simply believing that God could do what he has promised. What did Abraham believe? Abraham believed, as the scripture says here, that God justifies the ungodly. So God looks at the ungodly, Then he makes a promise of life to the ungodly. Blessed is the ungodly unto whom God has made a promise. God has promised man that was made from the dust of the earth who doesn't have the ability to produce life by themselves, the promise of life. So who, by whose faithfulness will we have it? By God's. So what must we do if there's anything for us to do? Believe Believe. Let's not mock God and say you cannot produce it. Say you can. So to me, if I look at the very life of God and what is promised me, I stand before him. God, I look at the fruit of the Spirit. I look at the fruit of life. That is for me. I cannot be at home here sitting stingy, being angry at people all day. That's not my life. It's not my life. I've put this thing on Facebook and uh, this is a very, very, um, how can I say, hot topic as pertaining to debate and people getting angry and all of that. But I want to say this, and maybe you haven't seen my Facebook post, but I want to say this. How do we, as Christians, what would justice look like as pertaining to the feeling of love and actions of love in our hearts towards an illegal immigrant? I put it on Facebook, I find some people say, well, this is justice. I'll let them know, I'll I'll call the police and tell them they are illegal and I'll let them know that I've called them. That is how we will live now as Christians in the world. Foolishness. I've asked this question, you know, maybe I should read it. Let me read it quickly. Talking about justice. It's not just for us to be controlled by the news media. It's not just for us to have our emotions and our feelings born from injustices that's taking place in politics. No, it's just for us to have joy. It's just for us to love. 
it's not just that when I see uh, somebody that uh, is, it's not just for me not to have compassion on someone. That's unjust. That's absolutely unjust. I remember, just to give you an example, when the things were really going bad about 15 years ago uh, in Zimbabwe, there were two illegal immigrants, or there were many in our town, but two of them I got to know. I offered them jobs. I said, come. And uh, I didn't know when they would be sent back anyway because people were sent back as well. So I says, come work for me. Their job was to listen to my messages. That's their job. You're going to listen to my messages. They listened to my teachings. I don't know for, it could be a few months, two months maybe. They listened to my messages. Um, the one then got a, a job that could bring him more money. Uh, and he left. Their lives were changed. They eventually were sent back to Zimbabwe, you know, because of the laws of the country. But thank God that I didn't have, uh, it is unjust for me to see the Zimbabwean and to hate him. It's just for me to know this person can be sent back soon. So let me now love on him. Let me show the kindness of God towards him. Let me teach him the gospel of God's grace. That, that guy went back. He eventually, they came back into South Africa. I only know of the one now. The other one, I lost contact with him. I know both of them were so blessed. They thanked me. They thanked me for sharing the love of God. They testified on how it changed their life. They went back and they said, well, the government sent me back. But thank God, I know that there are people there that show the love of Jesus. And I know God sees me. I know God knows me. But what if that was a bad person? How does that change it? The one guy asked me, you know, if they can't even obey the government law, how then are they going to obey the law of God? The same way that a drug dealer that doesn't obey the government law or the person that speeds doesn't obey the government law uh, then uh, believe upon Jesus and God saves his life and makes him new. People, the answer to the problems of the world is God's justice. The way God justifies us is with his life. We want that. We want people to be justified. We want them to receive the justice of God. The justice of God is that they receive the life of God and that they believe upon the good news. Sadly, we will not find all people being justified or that justice uh, prevails in all people's lives because there are some that will simply refuse to believe the gospel. How does a life look in this earth? We're definitely going over time today, so just stick with me. How does justice in this world look for those who have believed upon the Lord, because we can only be justified with his very life. How does his life look? The way his life look is the way the poem in Philippians says. It says, let this mind be new, which was also in Christ, who didn't count it robbery to be equal with God, but to be made in the form of a servant, who laid down his life, who died, who even became obedient unto death, serving sinners. And then he was raised from the dead and exalted to the most high place. Hallelujah. I want to be justified with a life where I can even look at a sinner, man, and lay my life down. Help a person that doesn't have. Help an, a, a person that is ignorant of the goodness of God or someone who's even rejected the goodness of God and love on that person in the hope that he can be justified with the very life of God. Hallelujah. I want to tell you this grace gospel is not just a feel-good message. It is, put it this way, it is such a feel-good message that you will feel so good about who you are and what God has done that you will have abundance of it and share it with other people's lives. That our lives will conform to the very life of Jesus as it was portrayed in the lives of the early apostles. Look at Peter. Look at James. Look at John. Look at Stephen in his stoning. Look at all of that. Look at even Zacchaeus, how he was justified. How did justice come to Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus Zacchaeus was a person that was being, uh, being, I think he must have been a thief in some form or fashion. 
he was a tax collector. He was rejected. He went through all of those things. Jesus said, today I must eat at your house. He went to his house. He loved on him. And that man was justified. He was justified by the love of God. And he could get to a place where he can accept the love of Jesus. He could accept the love of God and a life the life of God could be born inside him and he could be accepted, set free and have a life where he could even become generous and give. He even said that if I have stolen anything, I'll replace it fourfold. I've heard some commentaries say that they think that Zacchaeus could even have been Matthew. I don't know if I agree with it and that he has written one of the books of the Bible. Now, be it or not, if it is, it would be good. If it isn't, it is, then it is not. But imagine that, justified. When Peter was starting to believe that Jesus shouldn't die, Jesus rebuked him and said, Satan, get away from me. Get behind me, Satan. And Jesus brought justice to the mind of Peter so that Peter could think straight. Glory to God. Oh, but Beth, you know, we, we want to hear this message of justification as God not looking at our sins and that we can come boldly to the throne of grace, God not being angry with us. Man, that is not an issue. You could have come, anybody could have come, Old Testament people, even the Gentiles in the Old Testament could have come. We find that Gentiles would give gifts and God would think of them. You know, it is not that God, the, the Gentiles were uh, even in the before the death and the resurrection of Jesus, they Jesus said, I've got a sheepfold of which you know nothing. And he was talking about the Gentile people. You know, so God has always loved all people and anybody could anytime, right there where he is, called on the God that made the heavens and the earth and God would hear him. It is not that God has said, I cannot talk to you because you've got some sin and now I can't see you. No, what was an issue to God is, and we need to get to these scriptures, man. Um, let's go to Isaiah chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. Let me see if I've got it on my tablet here. Isaiah, now let me get into the old school way. Isaiah 1, listen to this. We're now only getting into the good stuff. 1 verse 16 and 17. It says, wash, make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Listen, he says, seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Who's oppressed in the earth today? We are. People are. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to the leaders of Israel. That's what he's talk who's talking to. Who would that this be a message to? obviously the leaders of Israel, and to Jesus. If to the leaders of Israel was said, listen, don't sin, do justice. When Jesus would read this, and he's our leader today, what would he read? He would hear the Father say to Jesus, now, please hear me out in this. Let's bend this a little bit to get a certain truth across just because of the lack of my ability to communicate this. If Jesus would not justify us by bringing what God has promised to us who trust in the Father, he would be a sinner. He would be treated as what these people in the Old Testament, these Old Testament leaders would have been treated. He says here to the Jewish leaders, he says, wash and make yourself clean, take your evil deeds out of my sight, stop doing wrong, do right. And then he explains what is doing, what doing right is. He says, seek justice, and now he defines it, defend the oppressed. Who was oppressed in the Old Testament? Israel. Under whom? The Egyptians. What did God do? He seek to, he seek to defend the oppressed, what did he say? Let my people go. What is Jesus saying today? What is God saying to people, the, uh, to, to death? He says, let my people go. And he brought forth Jesus, the land that was slain. And those who believe upon him is led out of sin and death. 
It says, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Now, who is the fatherless? Go and read Matthew chapter 6. He says, Why do you worry about what you eat and drink and wear? Don't you know that your heavenly Father will give you all these things? Then he goes on and likens these people to the Gentiles and says, basically says that those who don't have a father, they seek after these things. But you have a father. So the fatherless, according to the Jewish mindset, would be the Gentiles because Israel is my son. So who are these other people? In their mindset, father was those who had God. Now he says, Take up the course of the fatherless. That means that those who don't seem to have a father, that they are treated as if they have a father. What he's saying is, you be a father to them. The, the whole world was laying in jeopardy, fatherless in this sense, that they had to father themselves from their own power, the power of their own works. And then God said, it's not right that these people live fatherless in the world. I'm their father and I'm bringing forth Jesus so they can be fathered and shepherded and fed and cared for. Who, who is the widow? Who is the orphan? Who is the one that has no husband? It was talking about the Gentiles and those who uh, could not bear fruit, which is a type and a shadow also of the whole world who was before God fruitless. And God says, you need to be married to me. The law need to be died away so that you can be married to a new, that you will not be a widow, that you can be cared for, that you can have a husband, that you can have a father, that you can have the right to call God your father. So when you look at the Old Testament text, when it was saying, you know, plead the case of the stranger. Why plead the case of the stranger? The stranger is one that doesn't have a land, that doesn't have a country of his own, and he's fleeing to other nations. And then it was saying to them, remember, you were also an Egypt stranger. And there was a place given for you, and now you're having a land. And they were going to a land where? They were going to where Israel is now. That country belonged to other people. Then God was bringing them in as strangers. Then in war, they took over the land. And then even if other strangers would go in there, you're going to treat them being mindful of God that provided for you. That is what it is. Why? Because the earth, the whole world, all of humanity is walking around like strangers having no land. Don't, they don't have a place where they can have life. But God has now provided a land. He took dust from the earth. He made it eternal, immortal, the man Jesus. And now our land, our possession is the glorified Christ where we can live and move and have our being in the glorified, resurrected Jesus as the one that's provided eternal life for us. Man, I'm, I've said a lot. I have to end this off, but uh, Jeremiah, let, let's go to Jeremiah 22 verse 3. We'll have to go there. Jeremiah Twenty-two, verse three. It says, "Thus is the Lord: execute your judgment and righteousness, and deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor." Who's the oppressor? Sin and fear of death, and death itself. That's the oppressor. God has come to justify us with what? With Romans five eighteen, the justification of life, where we are justified with His life. And deliver the spoiled out of the hand of the oppressor. And do no wrong. Do no violence to the stranger. The fatherless nor the widow neither shed innocent blood in this place. Man. Let's go to verse 15. Shall you reign because you've clothed yourself in cedar? What that means is, do you think that you are king because you're so rich? 
Did not your father eat and drink and do judgment and justice, and then it was well with him? He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Who's the poor and the needy? It is all of the humans. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was well with him. Was not this to know me? How do you know God? To judge the cause of the needy and the poor and to see that their lives doesn't go to waste, that they are cared for. Isn't that how they are known by God and how they know God and how it is for us to know God? It says how you know God is by caring for the poor. How you know God is how you care for the widow. How you know God is how you plead the case of the stranger. Hallelujah. I'm justified. Man, if I look even at... I'm justified with the life of God. And you have the justification of the life of God. And wherever you don't have it, God brings it to you. And those of us who have it, how do we know God? We know God, we experience God. Like my one friend said, he doesn't really know God when he reads the Bible. When he goes to the hospital and he visits somebody, he prays for them and he cries with them, he feels that's where God is. He knows God in that. So we go to Zambia, as I preach this message, I feel I'm serving you, I'm knowing God. If I go to Zambia and I go to the people in the bush and I... I mean, there's nothing I can gain from them. They don't, they cannot buy me a house or do anything like that. They cannot. I'm going there. There are people there that don't have electricity. They don't have running water. They don't have toilets. They cannot read or write. And many people that go out to preach to them, preach the law to them, preaches condemnation to them, Tell them what they must do to enrich some preachers. It it breaks your heart. Yes, there are also those that are reserved by God that preaches truth. But I see a people suffering. And as you go, and you are there through difficulty sometimes, and you preach the gospel and you see people justified with believing the true message and their lives are being made new, you find, isn't that Let me read this to you. I'm going to read it to you again. Jeremiah 22 verse 15 and 16. Shall you reign because you close yourself in cedar? Is that how you rule? By enriching yourself? No. Did not your father eat and drink and do judgment and justice? And then it went well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it went well with him. Went well with him. Was Was not this to know me? How do you know God? No means to be intimate with God. The only way you can be intimate with God is when and live his life and know his life is when your heart, when your heart is wrenched like I preached the other day, when the heart of all love is burst open, when the very core of your being shakes when the foundation of your being is moved, your heart of love bursts open, when you become vulnerable and the deepest part of your compassion, your heart is laid bare where you are even humiliating yourself in the presence of people to care for someone because the, the power of the Almighty God is poured out in you. You're sharing in His life. That's justice. It's unjust for the church not to experience the life of God. And it's unjust for the church not to hear about this. So that's why I'm preaching it. Glory to God. Well, I've got six, one, two, three other verses, four that I wanted to share. But I'm going to leave it here. Know this. All the verses that talk about plead the case of the poor and the widow and all of that actually points to Jesus because we are the poor and the widow and the stranger and the orphan and he's come to give us his life and we find as his life is in us 
those very actions are towards the poor and the widow and the orphan, those who don't know the gospel, as well as the physically poor and the widow and the orphan, as we also care for the fatherless and the stranger. Glory to God. Well, thank you that I could serve you with this message. I trust that it has blessed you. Uh, again, for those of you that didn't see the beginning of this message, we are going to Zambia. We are on our outreach there. We're leaving this week. This is the last message that we'll make from the studio. We'll obviously make other messages as we travel and as we are in Zambia and broadcast that. And if you want to travel with us, please just go to info at dynamicministries.com or send an email to info at dynamicministries.com or in our Facebook messenger, you can uh, send a message and say that and ask us to add you on our WhatsApp group where we just give feedback on what we do every day. I don't put feedback on Facebook and social media every day, but I do via uh, WhatsApp for those who are interested in what we are doing and seeing what the grace life looks like in that in missions, so um, in our lives. I mean, it looks different for different people, but what God is doing in us and through us. If you want to travel with us, please do so uh, via the WhatsApp. And then in future... We will just have room for people to physically go and travel with us and preach the gospel in that area. Thank you so much, and we will then chat again uh, as we are on the way. I can't promise that there will be a message next Sunday. We'll see when there will be a next message. Thank you so much, and then we'll chat again later. God bless.